Welcome and good morning. How's everyone dealing with their physical distancing? I hope you're doing well. Um, we're trying to get away from the term social isolation and move more into physical distancing. Um, we're starting a new series on fear, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at different aspects of it. So I really encourage you to tune in, to, to bring your families, to, to stream it to your families, to share it on your Facebook, your Instagrams. Let's get into it. This morning, I wanted to do a little coffee talk session. I wanted to sit down. If we had the whole congregation together, I was going to get everyone. I was going to sit right here and just, just share with you um, these topics that I think we need to actually chew out, that we need to, to discuss in that serious manner. And I hope in your physical distancing, you have people that virtually you're having coffees with, that you're talking about some real issues. Today, we're going to be looking at the fear of rejection and allow God's word to speak to us about how we can overcome it. Being that you're in your home right now, I'm hoping this allows us some extra space to process. Maybe it gives you the time that if, if we say something, you get to talk back. <laughs> you know, when we're, when we're meeting together and we're congregating together, we don't always have that option. This is a really good time. Maybe you find yourself new to this whole uh, social media platform or you're not familiar with how the YouTube work on the interwebs. Even though this is a live stream, you do have the option to go back a few seconds. You can listen to stuff again. You can watch the whole message again. Easily can be done. And hopefully this, again, gives us the chance to talk things out. I look back on when I was on staff at a church in the States. Um, I think it was every eight weeks we, we were given a Sunday off. And not to not come to church. It was a Sunday to go to a different church. That was, that was suggested and recommended. Um, and it was really cool to hear, you know, different people's perspectives and... and um, just see what different denominations are preaching. But my favorite thing to do was to actually go to some of the African-American churches. Because what that was like is while the minister is speaking, the congregation is sitting there. Like if you're talking about Gideon and you're like, Gideon was afraid and he didn't think it was enough. They'd be like, no, he did not. It would be stuff like that. And this, in your own homes, this is the opportunity to do that. So hopefully you and your families get to, to talk things out. My wife and I look at it like we're the, um, we're the church goggle boxes. So last week, while we were listening to Pastor Josh while he was talking, we'd be like, what? What did he just say? What do you mean by that? And then he would answer, we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's it. Preach it, brother. So it gives us the opportunity, and I am hoping that when we come back together, you are well rehearsed in how you say amen, and you get into it, and we're all excited. So I'm just giving you some warning. Start practicing now. Now, obviously, this is a different avenue of delivering a message, but we are going to talk about the fear of rejection it's funny, too, how quickly this fear creeps in, because when I was preparing to give a message, and I was like, man, if the congregation is here, what are they going to think about me? What about if I give an altar call? Are they going to even come forward? Are they going to raise their hands? What if no one likes what I'm saying? And now I'm standing in front of you now, streaming into your homes, and I'm like, well, what if they don't like what I'm saying? <laughs> what if they turn off? What if they switch and they watch cat videos while this is playing? That's all going through my head, and you see how quickly that twists around. Two sides to the same story. It's a lose-lose situation. I'm consumed by the fear of rejection. Either I'm worried what you're going to say if you're here, or I'm worried what you're saying in your home right now. He's not eloquent enough. He doesn't look the part. Why is he wearing such a tight shirt? Does he not know that ministers should not wear tight shirts like that? So here I am being confronted with the fear of rejection while I'm speaking to you about the fear of rejection. So you know what? I need some good news to stand on. And no, I'm not going to put this on the ground and stand on it. But I need some good news. So our scripture for this series is 2 Timothy 1.7. It's going to come up on your screen there. And it says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, 
of love and of a sound mind. I'm going to take a drink while you think about that. Read that scripture again while it's on the screen. Actually, read it with me. Read it with me with your families. For God has not given us a spirit of what? Of fear. That's right. Rather, God has given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. One of my favorite translations uses prudence in place of that term sound mind. Prudence. What do you think of when you hear prudence? Is prudence in your vernacular? Better yet, is vernacular in your vernacular? <laughs> so maybe you can look up those. But do you use the word prudence? What do you think of when you hear prudence? Prudence is the ability to govern and discipline yourself with reason. Mm, man, I'm going to let Prudence is the ability to govern and discipline yourself with reason. So look at this. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power to do things that weren't in our, our natural control that we couldn't do on our own. He's given us a spirit of love, the ability to forgive when forgiveness shouldn't be an option. The ability to wholeheartedly dive into a relationship, that spirit of love and the spirit of this prudence. The ability to govern and discipline myself with reason. Now, it's important. Hopefully, if everything goes the way I, I hope it does this morning, we'll come back to that, that, that concept. The ability to reason things out. God's given us that. We can actually work it out. He's given us the ability to work it out, to not operate in fear, but rather to think things through clearly. So what do we need to work out? Well, if you're practicing your physical distancing and you have been isolated at home, you may need to work out, work out. But that's not where we're going today. We need to work out and work through this fear of rejection. Why do, why do so many of us live paralyzed by fear, in particular this fear of rejection? I want us all to take, take a, just a moment to think about over the past six months, how much time or how many decisions did we make to please other people? Take a moment. Think about it. How much time over the past six months? Go ahead. I'll give you just, just a couple seconds. You're like, Michael, I forget what happened uh, a week ago. All right. Well, let's, let's try this. So how about how many decisions over the past week did we make to please other people? The past day? Hmm. Why do we try so hard to please other people? We don't like to be rejected. It hurts so bad. Mother Teresa has some great quotes, and this is one I'm not sure if you've heard before, but one of my favorites from her. It says, we have drugs for people with diseases like leprosy, but these drugs don't treat the main problem, the disease of being unwanted. The sick and poor suffer even more from rejection than material want. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. Mm. Rejection hurts. I'm reminded of when my wife and I were driving up in the hills in her old stomping grounds around Glen Forest. Uh, and she sits there while, while I'm driving. She goes, hey, hey, look at that drunk guy over there. Because apparently there's a lot of drunk guys walking around in Glen Forest. But she's like, look at that drunk guy over there. And I'm like, well, do you know him? And she's like, yeah, before you and I met, we dated and he asked me to marry him, and I rejected him. And she got real, real happy about it. She's like, and I rejected him, and now I'm with you. And I said, well, clearly, he's still celebrating after 10 years. <laughs> you can have that one. I have to tell one joke every time, so you can have that one. Think about that. But no, rejection hurts. Public speaking it has been the number one fear in the world for almost 20 years. Now, it, it fluxes depending on what site or source you use, but it's, it's above death. Getting in front of other people and talking. Why is public speaking such a high fear on our radar? Why would we rather die than, than, than talk in front of other people? 
In the majority of the studies, it sits so far above dying. It sits above aging. People would rather die because we don't like to be rejected by others. We don't like the possibility of stuffing up. We don't like the possibility of not living up. We don't like the possibility of being harshly criticized by others. If I let people get near me and see the real me, they're going to reject me. And this is gripping. As a quick aside, and the reason I call this as an aside is because this isn't the, the main f- focus of this message, but I think it's important. Revelation 21.8 says this. It says, but as for faithless people, the unclean, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their destiny will be the lake of fire. This is not the time to talk about end times. That's not what the point of the fear of rejection is. But listen to this. We sit there, and, and you know, I'm, I'm on my self-righteous kick, and I, I, I read this scripture, and I hear that, and I'm like, all right, God, let, let's judge them together. So, yep, you know what? Faithless people, unclean murders, yeah, God, get rid of them. That's good. Fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Absolutely, that's not me. But you know what? I skipped a word. The word, the, the, the verse here at the beginning says, but as for, and then the first word, the first description it gives us, it says, but as for cowards, and then it goes on to faithless people, the unclean, and etc. As for cowards, and I'm like, what, 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 God? What do you mean by cowards? Hmm. Surely not cowards, God. We all have a little bit of a yellow streak in us. Sure, we all, you know, it's, 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 it's not that big a deal, is it, God? And again, I'm not here to talk about the end times or what that looks like, but I think this should at least get us to thinking that why would cowards be included here with the, the murderers and the liars and whatnot? God expects courage from us. So you look at, you know, uh, 2 Timothy, God's not given us a spirit of fear. One of the, um, another translation, it changes fear into t- timidity. Timidity is the lack of courage. God expects courage from us. It's actually one of the, the character values in the New Testament. It's, it's one of the virtues, uh, along with love and honesty. We are expected to use courage. And so when we're looking at how we battle this fear of rejection, we need courage. And hopefully when we get to the, you know, the, towards the end, we, we bring that back around as well. If I can be vulnerable with you for a moment, so getting back into the message. When I was in year eight, so I call that eighth grade where I'm from in the U.S., we had tryouts for pet band. Now, if you're not familiar with pet band, we have basketball games, football games, baseball games, and that's the band that goes, dun, 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 dun. you know, so we're playing that. That's the pet band stuff. And we had tryouts for the drum set. Several musicians for everything. Several people played saxophone. You know, we had flautists. Um, you know, uh, trumpeters, like, had, had multiple ones of those, but for drums, even though there were several drummers, only one person could play the drum set. And so, my, my friend, who was my age and myself, we tried out for the drum set this year. I was a great snare drummer. I could play really well. I had great rhythm, great timing, but I hadn't worked on how to get my limbs to do things independently. So even something as simple as this, and then switching. I couldn't do it. I hadn't practiced it, I should say. And my, my music director gave me the song, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. So you know the song, right? You've seen The Lion King, if not. And so that's just a little swing beat. That's all it is. I look at it now, and I'm like, man, I can't believe you couldn't play that. But year eight, I sat in front of my entire band. So the drum set was up front because we were the ones trying out. The whole band was around us in like the orchestral arrangement. And here we are trying out. The song starts playing. I come in with the drums. I'm like, I can do this. And I had never practiced it. And I failed miserably. Kids being kids, you know, so uh, again, year eight, I got laughed at. I felt terrible. I had to walk out of the room, shed a few tears, actually. And the humiliation that I felt was so strong that I used some money that I had um, earned hauling hay, and I bought a cheap drum set. And for the next year, I practiced anywhere from two to eight hours a day, every day, until the next year tryouts came along. 
I became a perfectionist. Why? Because I didn't want to ever experience that fear of rejection or humiliation again. I never wanted to see what that was like. And then from that day forward, I realized, and looking back, I've realized I became an approval addict. I was constantly seeking approval from others. I wanted other people to to give me my value, my worth. I was constantly looking for good feedback from them, and I, I shied away from any kind of negative criticism. Hi, my name is Michael, and I'm an approval addict. Seeking the approval of others is a very dangerous place to be, and I'll posit this morning, I'll I'll wager if I can use that term, that where many of us find ourselves in your room and then right here where I'm at, is that we are seeking the approval of others. We are approval addicts. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Craig Groeschel has a great sermon on the fear of rejection. He talks about these uh, rejection traps. And he's talking about the fear of man, the seeking um, others' approval. This isn't a fear of of man. We're not afraid of people. We're afraid of the rejection, and it's a trap. The next time you're weighing on what you believe to be important and the decision you're going to do, if nothing else you remember from this message, I hope you remember this. I want everyone to go to Star Wars Return of the Jedi. I want you to think about Admiral Ackbar. He's that catfish-looking character on one of the the cruisers there uh, working for the Rebellion. And I want you to go, it's a trap! I want everyone to think that. So, oh, should I do what this person thinks or should I do what God's telling me to do? It's a trap when you start thinking about what other people want us to do. When we're constantly worried about that fear of rejection. So let's look at two rejection traps. There's a couple ways we get trapped as we're paralyzed by this fear of rejection. The first rejection trap is that we become overly starved for acceptance. We're overly starved. We become so needy and hungry for others' approval that we make decisions which cost us so much more than if we just thought them through clearly. King Saul, in the book of 1 Samuel, he says this when he's speaking to Samuel. He says, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. I listened to him. He was so worried about losing his kingdom, so worried about that, and also so worried about what the people were going to say if he made a decision that God told him to make, that he listened to them. And ironically, he lost the kingdom. And before we get all judgy on old poor King Saul, how many times do we do the same thing? How often are we afraid of what other people think? And so rather than doing what is right, we do what's expected. Hmm. Rather than doing what's right, we do what's expected. That's a trap! So many people want to please God. I honestly believe that. We have an innate desire in us to please God, just as we have an innate desire to be accepted. We want to please God. Maybe you're sitting on your couch right now, and you're like, but I want to please God. And then we get caught up in this, this snare of being overly starved. For, for, for me, and this could be anybody, for me, you know, it's just like, oh, I just don't feel comfortable drinking um, alcohol. I don't think that's the right thing. And then we get around a social setting where other people are drinking, and we're like, if I don't drink, what are they going to think about me? And so we crave their acceptance. We don't like that rejection. That's a trap. Or for others... I know that I should wait to give myself fully to to my partner when I get married. I know that's what I should be doing. But I'm seeking the approval of someone else right now. I want that instant approval. And so I jump from bed to bed, begging for someone to find worth in me. Only, Only to be disappointed time and time again. How much time do we spend trying to look perfect, to be the perfect image, to say the perfect thing? Hmm. What drives most of our decisions in life? Well, if we're approval addicts, we become overly starved and we're constantly seeking to please other people by avoiding the potential of being rejected. We don't even know what other people are going to say. We don't know how they're going to respond, but we think we we know. And so based off that, we make our decisions. People who are approval addicts, there's a couple things that come to light, and this is, uh, again, what Craig Rochelle said. 
We have difficulty confronting others if we're approval addicts. We want to be liked so much that we'll never confront other people. And as such, we don't have the relationships that God intended us to have. Do you know it's okay to have a disagreement with somebody? Do you know it's okay not to see eye to eye? It truthfully is. That's okay. But we won't have the confrontations. Another thing that generally um, uh, approval addicts um, will display is that we will generally give in to other people, but we're angry and resentful on the inside. We become pushovers and timid in our faith. Think about this, 2 Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, of the timidity, and yet we become timid in our faith. So the first rejection trap is that we become overly starved. The second one is we become overly cautious. I've experienced something where I was hurt so much and I don't want to let that happen again. I'll never let that happen again. Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. He who hardens his heart falls into trouble. I've known so many people that harden their hearts. I've hardened my hearts at times. My heart. I don't have multiple. My heart. We quit letting people in because we don't want to feel the rejection. Ed Welch says in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, it's an older book, the most common reason we're controlled by other people is they can withhold the acceptance the love, or the significance we want for them. As a result, we feel worthless. That may be a moment to to rewind your YouTube real quick, but I'm going to read it one more time. The most common reason we're controlled by other people is they can withhold the acceptance we're looking for. They can withhold the love that we're looking for. They can withhold the the significance that we want from them, and as a result, we feel worthless. Remember what Mother Teresa said there? Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. So think about this. Think about when, you know, women, if you've been hurt and you're trying to get back into a a trusting relationship with men, think about trying to get back in the world of the dating, no matter who you are. Maybe when you played sport, you weren't picked first, or maybe you were picked last on the team, or maybe not even picked at all. Maybe it was an odd number and you were the one left out. And so something that happened 20 years ago is still impacting you today. Maybe sharing the message of Jesus and partnering in the kingdom mentality is too difficult for us. Why? Why? Well, the last time we started sharing, we were laughed at. Or maybe we didn't know how to respond to what the person had said. And because of that, we're like, ah, it's just too hard. I'll put that in my too hard basket. We don't want to be rejected by our families or friends. What are people going to think if I start sharing this gospel? Like, it just doesn't make sense. You know, I, I I don't want to have this conversation. In that same book, Ed Welch said this, sometimes we would prefer to die for Jesus than to live for him. We'd much rather just easily be martyred. Because we know that making a decision for Jesus means we might spend some years of our life being unpopular, being ignored, being poor, being criticized. And as a result, the masses of Christ followers put their faith up on a shelf. The book of John actually mentions this, um, I think, quite directly. John 12, 42, 43 says, But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. The overly starved, the overly cautious people were seeking praise from men more than praise from God. So how do we overcome this fear of rejection? I think that scripture tells us there. The Bible tells us two principles that we can help live empowered by his spirit. We let the spirit guide us. God's given us a spirit of of power, of love, and of a sound mind, of prudence, of the ability to to govern and and think our way through things. Our hearts have to beat with the desire to please God, not people. 1 Kings 22 At this point in time, the kingdom of Israel had been divided. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so the king of Israel came down to the king of Judah, and he said, hey, listen, we've got a common enemy. I need you to come to war with me. 
And so 1 Kings 22.5 says this, But Jehoshaphat, he was the king of Judah, said to the king of Israel, First we will seek the counsel of the Lord. First we will seek the counsel of the Lord. He didn't say, now let me run an opinion poll. He didn't say, now let's check in with my work colleagues to see what they think. He didn't say any of that. Now it's not to say that we're not going to run an opinion poll or we're not going to check in with our work colleagues because we should be seeking wise counsel. But it says, but first we will seek the counsel of the Lord. I've got a couple of friends in New York City, um, um, Denny and Shirlene, great people. Um, I met them down in Mexico when I was uh, working missions down there. And they invited me up to New York, and I said, if you invite me, I'll come. I went up there, and I wanted to go to Boston. So, and my other friend that was with me were like, we want to go see what Boston's like. And they said, yeah, we'll drive you, no worries. And so they, they got their parents' vehicle, and we got in it, and they said, buckle up. So we all buckled up, and then he says, let's pray. And I was like, okay, I'm cool with that. And then we got to where we were going, and then before we headed off again, he said, let's pray. And then, <laughs> so, and I'm, I'm all about prayer. I, I believe in the power of prayer. Even at that time, I believed in it. It was just so weird because before any big decision, it wasn't that you know, he'd get up in the morning and say, God, what outfit should I wear? It wasn't like that. But it was before we started off on any major decision process, he and his sister sought, and his whole family actually, but sought the counsel of the Lord. Wow, how amazing. Our go-to first response should not be, what will my parents think? What will people think? It should be, what will God think? That's how we overcome the sphere of rejection. We can't hold on to the belief that we can please God and please people all of the time. It doesn't work that way. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the one time I want to read um, a, a different translation here. And it says, Instead, make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life, and all these things will be given to you as well. Make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life. That's how we overcome the fear of rejection. And, and from that, God expects courage from us. God expects courage. If we get down to the heart of it, and I know, you know this is a, a fear series, so we're going to be talking about it for the next couple weeks, but I, I believe that fear, fear in general, ultimate fear is actually a mistrust in God. Whew. That's tough. That's tough to swallow. Because I'm dealing with fear of rejection on a daily basis, and I believe fear is a mistrust in God. Now, that's, that's a Michael thing. You can quote me on it. Don't go quoting everybody else. But I actually believe it's a mistrust in God. And if, if, if I'm being completely honest, which I'm trying to be, if we all, I, I believe that we all believe at some level, if we clung to God completely and completely surrendered to him, he'd let us down. At some, some place in my being, I, I'm holding on to that. Otherwise, what's keeping me from giving myself wholeheartedly over to him, to, to seeking what his will is? Because I believe that if I completely surrender to him, he's going to let me down. We know the opposite's completely true. We know that he, he doesn't let us down. He never leaves us or forsake us. We know that's the case. And yet somewhere, there's, there's something keeping me from fully surrendering. The first step is we say yes to pleasing God. That's how we overcome the fear of rejection. And the second is it's antithesis. We actually say no to pleasing people. Now, please don't pick up your mobile phone. Let me grab mine out here. This is not, you know, Michael's giving me permission to call those people that, um, you know, I've wanted to tell off. Hmm? Hey, this is Michael. Yep, you're a jerk. Thanks. Bye. That's not what it's about. We don't give people the peace of our mind. We're always to show love and grace in relationships, but we're not driven by it. We're not driven to be people pleasers. Isaiah 51, 12, and 13 says, Who are you that fear mortal men, the sons of men, who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker? Please go through and read the, the entire chapter here in, in Isaiah, get, get some context around this. But this says, who are you who fear mortal men 
the sons of men who are but grass that you forget the Lord your maker. Do we forget God? Can we forget God? Well, this scripture to me says that when we start focusing on the opinions of man, we're actually operating under the fear of rejection, and we do forget God. We do. When I'm operating under my approval addiction and I'm concerned by what others think, I forget God. I forget who God is and, and who he says I am and what he says about me. Each day we have the opportunity to live for people's approval or to surrender to God. Every day we have that opportunity. We can surrender to his will and purpose. Paul says this in Galatians 1 and 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Say yes to pleasing God. Say no to being a people pleaser. We can't be both. We can't be. When we're, when we're trying to please God, things don't always make sense to people. They don't. Why, why would I give you know, to where it hurts? Why would I do that? You know, I'm putting my family at risk when we know that we're not, and yet people see it that way. Hmm. If we say yes to pleasing God, this leads to our ultimate goal, and this is what um, Craig Rochelle also calls living for the audience of one, not for the audience of people. Because people will ultimately reject us and be fickle in the long run anyway. We're to live for the one whose opinion really matters. I remember when I was touring, and you know, pretty much every place, every venue you played at has a, has a green room, there's a little backstage area. But when you're playing at some of the bigger places, they give you an all-access pass. They give it to you, and you can go wherever you want. Uh, there's no limits. You can go in and hang out with other bands. Um, you can walk all around if there's grounds there and they have them off limits. You get to go wherever. It's an all-access pass. That's what it means. And I remember going through security. It was like one of my favorite parts. You know, I'd be walking through and they'd be like, sir, you're not welcome here. And I'd just flash it and I'd keep walking right by. Because you know what? I don't have to listen to what you say. I don't have to listen to what you tell me because I know who sent me. I know what I'm here to do and I've got the all-access pass. And guess what? Today, you and I have the all-access pass of what God says about us. This word right here, this word tells me who I am and what I'm called to do. I'm not subject to your opinion or your judgment. No matter what you think, I know I'm acceptable through Jesus Christ. What you think of me is not important. What God thinks of me is huge. God says he loves me just as I am and I'm perfect in his sight. When I believe what he says about me, it frees me from doing my little dance, my little jig for you. It doesn't matter if you think I'm not good enough. God says even in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. He says I'm blessed in my coming in and my going out. He's he says he's working everything together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He says he has plans to prosper me and give me hope and a great future. That's what he says. I'm not worried about necessarily what everyone else says about me. We move based on what, when God tells us to go. When fear strikes, we use that sound mind that 2 Timothy was talking about. That sound mind, that prudence, that ability to think clearly and to govern with what the word says. We start quoting the word. Are you living your life seeking the approval of people or living for an audience of one? Let's pray today. God, right now we pray for forgiveness for seeking approval in the wrong places. We confess that we're approval addicts and oftentimes we want so bad to be liked by people. And often that actually gets in the way of serving you in the way that you've called me to serve. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of that. Empower us to be bold, to share your love, to not hesitate or be afraid of what people think about us, God. But we live for you, for an audience of one. In your name we pray. Amen. Be blessed, church.